Welcome everyone to Flyover Footy. This is Phil, and you get me and you get Matt today. Matt, how's it going? <laughs> Things are going great. Um, it's been a it's been a, a wild week uh, across the board, soccer, non soccer related. Um, I actually had a family trip to Columbus this past weekend. So that was yeah. exciting. Actually, we've um, got time. There's only the two of us. I'd like to hear about the game experience in Columbus. Yeah, it was a trip specifically to see the crew game. Uh, my wife works for a company who now has an office right across the street from lower.com field, which is really cool. Um, so you go on the roof of that building and you can you can literally see into the stadium from like uh, eye angle is to the top of the stadium. So it was a cool experience. And it was just a fun atmosphere. We we stayed there for the weekend. So they had they were supposed to have a doubleheader match on Saturday. Um, 350 kickoff against LAFC for the crew. And then the crew two were going to play at like 7 p.m. against somebody. But circumstances uh, such as the weather which in St. Louis we are no stranger to, um, made it so that by the end of the day, the crew game lasted longer than the doubleheader would have, <laughs> which was just absolutely wild. Yeah. But the rain didn't start until, um, I don't know, half an hour before kickoff. So mm. we had the entire, we had the entire morning, we had the entire afternoon and we, we got down to Columbus, downtown Columbus early they have this area called North Market, which is kind of like our city foundry. Um, it's near their uh, near their hockey arena, so near I think it's Nationwide Arena, and they have this boulevard that runs through their uh, what they call their arena district, and it's like one of their districts near downtown, and it connects kind of like Market does for St. Louis. It connects um, from the west to the east. It's got Lower.com Field. It has I think Huntsman or Huntington Park. Yeah, their minor league um, Cleveland Guardians team. And then a few blocks to the east, if you keep going down Nationwide Boulevard, you get to Nationwide Arena where the Blue Jackets play. Mm -hmm. And so around the Nationwide uh, Arena area, they have this North Market. And it's kind of like City Foundry, except for a lot more dense and a lot. And it's a, a two story place. So you have you basically walk in um, either the front or the back and you're kind of queued up into this line that goes around um, around the first floor. And they have vendors that are literally packed together. There are no spaces between the, the vendors, um, restaurants, drinks. Uh, they had like flower shops. It was, a, it was a really cool area, really, really diverse, really exciting, um, very uh, dense area. And so we, we all got food. My family got food, brought our two girls down. Uh, they're upstairs had an upstairs area for the seating. So that was kind of a cool little thing. So where city foundry is a little more open right now, I think they're still getting vendors, uh, uh, situated and they have all the seating kind of intermingled between the different vendors. Uh, here it was the second story was uh, like a picnic table type area, a hmm. uh, really long table. So that was a, a fun experience to eat. I had some shawarma, which was delicious. Good. Uh, my wife had a gluten-free fried chicken sandwich, which is also delicious. Um, after we finished that, we found the tailgate area for the Nordeca and the crew fans, uh, the crew supporters, which was also kind of right down the road. So when you, when you leave this North market, you go South and you enter this, uh, Dora area, which is a cool thing that Columbus does. It's called the, uh, designated outdoor recreational area. And it's this entire area where they have like, uh, they haven't mapped off the entire arena district between all three that I listed, you can, you can go to a restaurant, you can get your, your designated Dora drink, basically put a sticker on your drink hmm. and you just leave the bar and just walk around the street between this entire area. And it's just kind of a big party. And they, they say they activate their Dora three hours before the first match of any of those teams. Awesome. And it stays active until like midnight <laughs> that day. Yeah. And it was, it was cool because, uh, you know, they had little outdoor, uh, drink vendors near the bar that the, the Nordeca was holed up at. And that's where they start their March, which is, I mapped it 0.8 miles from lower.com field. And it's a straight shot. So it, it was very reminiscent of what you can, if, if you want to replicate it in St. Louis, you would have market street mm -hmm. down in between, uh, probably around Keener Plaza in between, uh, ballpark village and enterprise center. And it's just a straight shot. So they, they walked down the sidewalk, which was an interesting thing to me. Um, 
we've talked in St. Louis about possibly the team closing down market, for instance, and having the the supporters use the entire street to march down. Uh, you've seen something similar to uh, FC Cincinnati videos where they have in Seattle, where they have the entire street closed down. You've got the supporters taking up the entire area. Uh, Columbus was a little underwhelming in their march. Uh, everything was pretty top notch, but we drove, uh, my family drove from that area down to lower.com where we had a parking pass and all their supporters were kind of on the sidewalk and it was, it was long, but it was very compact. And so when you think of those visuals that MLS likes to create, as far as, you know, the, the massive, uh, swarm of fans, that wasn't it. Um, so that was a little, that was an interesting juxtaposition to what we are discussing in St. Louis and then the rain started. So right before we went into the uh, the stadium, the rain started, and there was a two hour delay from when it was supposed to kick off to when it actually did. Once it kicked off, they made it two minutes and thirty four seconds before another rain delay for an hour. Hmm. And then they finally got the match going, and then they got to play out the match. Yeah. It was a uh, yeah. So that part that part was a little underwhelming and a little kind of. Uh, lackluster but we still got to see the entire match uh we got to see carlos vela score a goal mm. we got to see uh the crew play a, a pretty poor game of soccer uh, but it was a good experience in in the, the stadium and and that's not to take anything away from their actual stadium too because lower.com opening last year that is a gorgeous stadium we got to walk around during the delay and just kind of take everything in go into the nordeca and look around at what their supporter section looks like see just all the different places and the different vendors that they had and it was it was an incredible experience and i've heard that we're uh, our stadiums in a similar vein and if if it is then we'll be lucky because that was um that was a top-notch experience in the stadium i love the thought i i know it's i don't know if they're gonna do it i would love to shut down market or clark or something you know especially I think if there's ever a game, I think it's plausible, right, to have a Cardinals game, a Blues game, and a City game on the same day. I think it's going to happen. It's very feasible. Very feasible. Probably happen more than, you know, a few times in a, in a season. I, I hope they shut down. They do something like that, like open it up, uh, close it down like three hours before the game like that and let everyone hang out and party and, and drink for three hours before the first game and just go all night. I, I, I would love to see. I mean, how many St. Louis fans would be out if you include all three of those teams, I mean, like 40, you know, 60, 70, up to 90,000 fans. If we filled every single stadium, that'd be really cool. Oh, yeah. And I think um, I think there, the potential is definitely there. You would have to do some serious infrastructure work as far as, uh, <laughs> you know, plan, planning out where you're going to divert traffic, because we know St. Louis loves their their cars and making everything easy for drivers. So you'd have to you have to plan out. You're taking away a four lane like mega road mm-hmm. downtown. Uh, so figure out where people are going to go. So you have to get buy in from the city to to divert traffic for basically a day, um, <laughs> if not a few hours at least for our purposes. You know, right before the match. Um, but but then also like you know thinking how we can get a Dora type thing or how we can get activation that they like to say between Ballpark Village and yeah. Centene. You're going to have to, I think, have a little more infill of stuff. You're going to have to have more Maybe. restaurants or bars or yeah. or housing or apartments or something along that area. And it's happening It's happening on like areas that's maybe around Olive or west of the stadium where we're seeing a lot of exciting development stuff. But that market area where you have the parks, um, Allo Plaza and then into Keener, you know, I don't know what you can do other than pop-up shops or game day vendors or mm-hmm. something that the city just provides to facilitate that being kind of a, a big hangout or big party area. Maybe it's an even maybe it's even a special thing that you do for those triple headers where you just have these three days throughout the year that you target and yeah. these are the these are the massive events in St. Louis for sports. And you you hire vendors and you figure out a plan. It doesn't have to be long term. It could be these special occasion events just yeah. to activate that entire area. That could be cool. That's kind of what I was getting at is I hope we as fans give them um, 
create the need for all of these problem solving situations uh, by just showing up and being there. 90,000 people. I mean, what, like the VP fair or whatever, fair St. Louis, like (laughs) when do we have more people than that downtown? You know what I mean? In one time, like these triple headers could top that. And so if they're willing to step up for fair St. Louis, then I think they should be able to step up a few times a year for these triple headers. It should be something special and we should really make them, discuss infrastructure and give people a reason to pop up a bunch of places to earn some money on a special day like that. I think it'd be really cool for us to cause the downtown to need to expand and get bigger. It'd be a new problem. We got to show them that we want it. Yeah. Yeah. We have have to show them the demand is there. And I think that's, if if we haven't showed it to them before the first game, I think uh, opening day for city is going to be the opportunity to say, okay, this this can be bigger. You know, you gotta, you gotta dream big. If you guys don't like half and half sh- uh, scarves, just wait till you see the, the three, the 33 percenters. <laughs> we're going to put blues Cardinals and city all on one scarf and we're going to hold them in the, air. you know, it's inevitable. It's inevitable. <laughs> I want to see it. Um, the other thing about the Nordeki, I forgot that, um, Nordeka, I thought, I forgot that it was like all black, kind of like that Mercedes, you know, Vegas Raiders, the stadium. stadium? Yeah, it's beautiful. I really like it. It's yeah, I so that's one of the things that I go back and forth on. It depends on the day of the week on what I prefer, but mm-hmm. that at that time seeing that the black was very just just visually pleasing and it's unique. Like there's not well, I say unique now, but I like Geodis Park is black and I'm sure you have some other newer ones that are, but it just seems like the way that it was um and they use the like the hard corners. It's not like an FC Cincinnati, yeah. like soft. And so that was really nice to see. Yeah. There's a, there's a corner area where their team store is, um, that you can, I, I imagine it being near the South, like similar to St. Louis's Southeast corner, where when you come up to it, the, the way the corners meet, it's going to prov- it provides kind of like, there was an early rendering from uh, the St. Louis city stadium that it reminds me of where it's like, it almost seems like you're entering into an actual like cathedral type thing where the corners, they, they don't touch quite. And they provide this like entrance that it feels like you're just being just hearkened into it and, and just taken into this hallowed ground. And and they did a really good job of that. Uh, so I hope we have something similar and, and can kind of provide that feeling from when fans enter in that part, it's you're entering hallowed ground. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, it's really cool to hear, cool to hear about your, uh, situation there. I think there was talk about you trying to track down Patrick Schulte. Obviously that, that didn't happen. I had a Luligan scarf and a city scarf ready for him. (laughs) And I was, I was desperate for that crew two match to actually take place. And, uh, midway through the the second delay, when I found out that they were moving the crew two game to the next day, I was so disappointed. Yeah, me too. I was hoping that would happen. I would have enjoyed to see that picture. Uh, I couldn't remember. They've been trading him off with the other guy, too. I I wasn't sure if it was his turn to start. I felt like it wasn't. But I think I'm correct in saying that Patrick Schulte hasn't been scored on this season. Um, I think that's right, if I remember from looking at the other day. Crew 2 defense seems to be pretty stout. I think it's their strength. But um, So there is that. I am. And their their fans... Their fans have kind of just embraced it and kind of started making little memes about, you know, the crew, too. And it's it's fun to see because, um, you know, Twitter, whenever you start talking about one thing, it just inundates your timeline with that thing. <laughs> and so it's similar to when Berkey was signed. I was getting like Borussia Dortmund nonstop tweets on my <laughs> timeline. And after this weekend, it was nonstop Columbus crew stuff. And so I got to see some fun things. They really like their city or their uh, crew two team and they're top of the league. So they're clearly doing something right out there. Yeah, I mean, the club said that they wanted to invest in Crew 2. So that's nice. That's nice to see that they want to try. Um, But that's a good segue to the game that we want to talk about first here at St. Louis City 2 versus Timbers 2. Um, You know, I pulled up the stats to kind of look at them because I saw what I saw. I saw mostly dominance. The goal for Timbers felt like more of an outlier than it was um, what we expected to happen, per se. Um, And I think the stats show that it's, you know, we've been talking about how in a game that we win, that things go our way, that possession doesn't have to be high, that our passing accuracy doesn't have to be much higher than like 70, 75 percent. Today it was or in this game, rather, it was 76 percent passing accuracy and 50 percent possession which is pretty high for us in a victory so i think you know there were a few games where we won 
pretty handily early in the season and we didn't have a lot of possession or a lot of high pack passing accuracy. And I think that's like what we'll see in a normal game. In my opinion, Matt, I don't know what you think, but I think this is what it will look like when it's extreme dominance, when it goes a little bit more our way than we could have even expected. What did you think? I kind of got that sense and it started off that way from the very beginning. Um, you know, the goal being scored just two minutes in, we were on the offensive and we had that gas pedal just pressed from the get go. Mm -hmm. And we were, we were pressuring them to no end. And that and Diaz goal, it worked very well. <laughs> and that Diaz goal, I felt that. And about 10 minutes after that, maybe 10 or 15 minutes after that, it felt like we could have had two or three more. Because the way that we were just on the offensive, keeping them on their heels, um, everything was working to a T. The balls just didn't go in after that Diaz goal. Uh, but after that, it kind of seemed like there were missed opportunities or there were maybe we didn't press as 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 long as we could have. I don't know if it was just that inability to have that constant pressure, like actually every minute pressing um, or a need to kind of back off just to rest bodies and be smart about what you're doing. But I, I was a little disappointed that we went into half only up one because I really felt mm -hmm. that we had the opportunities to be two or three up. I agree. And after they missed a few in a row, that's when you start worrying when I think we only had one goal at that point. And, you know, I started mm -hmm. worrying, but, um, we saw Josh Dolan get two more goals in this one. I think that brings his tally to four for the season, not including Five. open cup. Five. I oh, think. five include five in the regular season, and then more for Open Cup. Mm -hmm. Then, okay. Yep. Great. Yeah, because he's now uh, I want to say third in the league uh, for goals. Oh man, and we've only played seven matches. I love it. So his, uh, yeah, and his XG, Josh. I mean, Josh Joling XG is almost one. So one per game, which is Dang. outstanding. I mean, he's he's taken uh, Josh Doling, You know, I, I don't want to get ahead because I want to go back to the Diaz goal, but Josh Doling has taken everything that we've been concerned about from preseason and the first couple matches about just not scoring and being a facilitator and you know, our, our, what is this, how our striker position is going to look under, uh, under Lutz and, and Hackworth and turned it on, turned it on its head. And, and he's just proved, you know, my inclination wrong and, and kind of it, that long term, you need, you know, multiple games for a sample size. And he's really showed that he's a, multi-purpose threat you know he can facilitate for other players he can be that uh that decoy the person who draws two defenders to him but he can also be that guy who swarms the ball who picks up the trash who is targeted with crosses who finds the opening in the middle as he's running running through for a through ball he he's really well-rounded mm -hmm. and I feel that's the kind of striker that we're getting out of the system, regardless of if it's him or if it's Klaus or whoever, whoever it ends up being in any given day. But that, that seems like a, a very intentional system choice for what he's doing. Yeah. And, and before we move on, like, I just want to say five goals on 16 shots total. That's very good. Um, eight shots on target. Um, He's not necessarily outperforming, though, his stats. So this is like something that's sustainable. Um, again, at the beginning of the, of the season, I thought he might have more assists than goals. And that has kind of flipped the script. And I'm glad. I love to mm -hmm. see it. Um, right now, he's showing that he deserves a shot to some extent you know, on, on the senior team at some point, if this keeps up. I'm not saying this is going to keep up. And it doesn't always translate to two levels up. But, you know, we're seeing a guy like Ethan Zubak playing for Nashville and seeing a bit of a renaissance. He didn't get a crazy amount of a chance with L.A. Galaxy. He got some. He got enough, I'd say. Um, but that's not something outside of what I think Josh Doling could be in the future. Uh, someone who could come into a team, score a bunch of goals unexpectedly, not be a starter, but be um, a serviceable player. Obviously, we know he can he can press and, and play in the system. So that's a bare minimum, which is a, a pretty good uh, floor, in my opinion. Anything else on Josh Doling? And otherwise, why don't you talk about Diaz? Yeah, on, on Doling, I think he's definitely one of the guys, and it's not just because he's scoring goals, but it's it's everything else that he brings to the table. Why I feel, and I agree with you, that I think he's one of the players being targeted when uh, when Hackworth and Lutz mention uh, in interviews how they're they're looking at multiple city uh, city two players for being signed to next year who we haven't heard anything about yet, and you know those are the players that they're scouting, and we've heard there are a few at least. I, I firmly believe that 
he is on that short list. Hmm. Love it. But Diaz, no. So I think the I think the first goal. So I loved. I, I mention it whenever we do these, but I hate the fact that we don't have replays of full matches. But I love the fact that we at least have highlights. So yeah. they do a good job with stats. They do a good job with highlights. They let us see the build up to the play. So you know, going back and and watching the tape, um, when we when we saw it live, it was a it was a very kind of um, swarming type play and then the highlight of Diaz's goal kind of reinforced that so just two minutes in we just talked about how we had all that energy and the pressure immediately and kept it kept it on um the fact that Juan Cousin almost had a 1v1 goal (laughs) and and the Diaz goal came off a block that was back to Cousin who laid it off to Diaz and he kind of just did this I don't know I I, hearken back to like basketball players taking 1v1 where you're just doing spin moves around players and he just spun around to his left and just chipped it in top left corner. And, and it's because we had so many guys up front and Diaz was allowed, kind of allowed to take that, uh, that space because there were three or four guys on our team around him to pressure. And they, they couldn't dedicate more than one person to Diaz. And even that one person was doing this little kind of back step because he had guys going to his backside. So it was a, it was almost like a full team effort that allowed Diaz the space to just chip that in. And it was a beautiful little shot uh, to get past the keeper who was still out of position from the Cousin attempt. Yeah. So and, and Diaz, Diaz in general, sorry, Phil, but Diaz is just one of those players who is very, um, he's another one of those guys who is consistent and he's exciting in that number 10 position or that middle attacking uh, midfielder where he's always in the middle of the play. He's, he's either, he's either right behind a player. He's, uh, He's creating opportunities for others. He seems like he's really found himself a home there in the middle alongside and behind Doling. Yeah, he's opportunistic for sure. And um, he even shows some flashes of like a beautiful pass or, you know, he's always I would say he's always there when there's something to clean up. He's definitely always there for that. And I would also say that, you know, City for some reason has been pretty good at like, if the ball is going to bounce around in the mixer, a lot of times we end up with, uh, with a goal in that situation more often than, uh, than other teams perhaps. And so that's kind of how Doling's first goal was too, as well. And, and we, we found ourselves in that position where, and, and I think that's a credit to our, our style of play where as much as we press and push forward, we're, we're having guys in position to clean up those kinds of, mm-hmm. of messes where we have a lot of uh, shots that are blocked. You know, that's, that's a bit, that's a high number of our shots that are blocked. And when shots get blocked and they kind of just, they are in no man's land on the field because we have so many guys up, up so high, we're finding the ball ourselves and we're able to clean that up and recover and get rebounds. Maybe we play it back. Maybe we immediately are able to get it another shot on goal, but that's how you create enough chances and enough smart chances to where you're eventually going to find the back of the net consistently. Yeah, feels that way for sure. Um, let's talk about the next game. We rarely preview games, and Matt um, Matt often makes our outlines for the night. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> you think ahead more than the rest of us. Um, and so I often work off of what he thinks we should talk about, and he's and I agree. He said that we need to preview games more often. I agree. So earthquakes, you know, well, go ahead. I'm, I'm always, I'm always up for suggestions on like what people want to listen to, but I try to, I try to come at it from what do I listen to on other podcasts that are on, on, you know, uh, radio TV that I'm interested in. What do I, I, I imagine myself listening to, uh, to things like while I'm, you know, taking the kids to school or, uh, at work and looking forward to stuff. And the thing about previews that we don't usually do is they're time sensitive, right? So mm-hmm. doesn't it, it doesn't quite hit as hard if you're listening to this next week. Yeah, but um, I think it's super cool to be able to look forward. And I listen to uh, to um, like the Arscast podcast because you know I'm an Arsenal fan, and they do two times a week. One is usually a recap, one is a preview, and I always kind of like the previews um, because I try to make time for them. Mm-hmm. And so I think. I don't, I don't in, there's a lot of, um, you know, behind the curtain. Like I, I try to listen to a lot of the St. Louis podcast just to see what everybody's, um, kind of slant is or what their niche is. Uh, and, and previews isn't prevalent in a ton. You know, I, I, there are previews here and there. Soccer capital podcast does, um, does that fairly well when they do theirs, but I, I enjoy looking forward as much as I do looking back, even though it's kind of a little time sensitive. 
Yeah. That's fine to me. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, so, you know, we'll see. I would love feedback on that. We don't have a ton of listeners, but if you guys are listening and you have an opinion on that, would love to hear it. Uh, we'd like to create something that you enjoy. Though I think you're here because you're as nerdy as we are. So we'll just Hopefully. assume if you don't say anything, that just means this is okay. Earthquakes 2, 1.25 points per game, three wins, four losses, one tie. Um, one tie? I thought we couldn't tie. What is that? I think they're giving a tie if it's a shootout loss. Aha. So the way they keep their stats on online, they show wins, loss, ties, and shootout wins. Got it. So I think the way because you get a you get one point for a tie, and then you get an extra point if you win in the shootout. Okay. So I think I think they're counting that as like a point per tie. They have a goal differential of six, um, which is pretty good. We have a goal differential of three. Okay, so what this is kind of telling me initially is that we need to hold them to one goal or less. And uh, I think that's possible based on their spot in the table. But what do you think, Matt? What are you seeing for this? Here, here's the thing about their uh, goal differential. They beat the Rapids to seven to one. There and they go. beat Timbers to three to nothing. And if you look at the table right now, the four worst teams in the Western Conference are Earthquakes 2, Rapids 2, Timbers 2, and Monarchs. Hmm. And so the Earthquakes 2 have clearly set themselves as a cut above the rest, which in the point standings, they have 10 points on the year. Rapids 2 have 5, Timbers 2 4, Monarchs 3. There's a clear delineation that Rapids 2, Timbers 2, and Monarchs are bottom of the barrel so far. Um, Earthquakes 2 have kind of positioned themselves in that SKC2 uh, you know, area of the table, but they're kind of, I don't know. They're, they seem like they beat up on the lower, uh, lower table teams kind of like we do, but they don't really perform and they don't win against top table opponents. Hmm. Um, they do have a decent amount of MLS players on their roster, so their roster and they they give minutes to these players. So I'm we we've talked about it before with like Minnesota United Tacoma Defiance. How many uh, MLS rostered players are gonna are we gonna see Tacoma? We saw a few Minnesota. We we saw a few. I have a a, a feeling that we may see the most players that are signed to MLS contracts play against us that we have so far this year. Maybe five or six, based on how many minutes they're giving to these players. Because uh, just, I mean, if you look at their roster, they have uh, 11 players total that have some slot on their MLS roster, whether it's uh, a senior, a homegrown, one of the supplemental slots, an international, a couple generation Adidas, they're all on their Earthquakes 2 roster. And so I don't know if they're just that deep. I mean, the Earthquakes aren't a powerhouse in MLS this year, you know, um, Matias Almeida, aside because you know they've got their own cluster to deal with on that front but player wise i don't think they're that stacked to where they have all these extra players to be just giving to mls next pro so it's interesting that they have so many that they've been at least loaning down or giving time to and we may end up seeing a decent amount of those so i'll be interested to see to me this is kind of a good benchmark we beat the teams that we're supposed to beat and we're competitive against the teams that are on our level that's how we should that we should be. To me, Earthquakes Two are a team that we should beat. Um, they themselves beat up on Rapids Two, Timbers Two, sure, but they're bottom of the barrel. We beat up on them as well. We just talked about how we dominated when we needed to against Timbers Two. Shots on goal tell the story. The I mean the end result tells the story. We're going to play Rapids Two here in a couple weeks, and so I would expect that same result. This is a game that we I would expect to win. I'm, I'm going in here. We'll, I'll be disappointed with anything other than a win, only because everything that I've seen and read up on Earthquakes 2 and what I know we're capable of shows me that this is a game that's very, very winnable. Yeah, Earthquakes don't feel like Minnesota United where, or even Tacoma, where they send their kids down to get some experience and train them up with a certain emphasis on development it just feels like they throw them down there give them a place to play and let them compete um it just seems uh, i don't know what's the word i'm looking for 
unintentional, I guess. I don't know if that's true. We'll find out in the long term. Um, but, you know, moving on to kind of where we are in the standings, I'm not too worried about earthquakes. It's a team that we should put away. But what is it about the Whitecaps in Minnesota that really got us? Minnesota seemed to have some really talented individuals with a decent setup to make them succeed. Perhaps a game planned against us is another theory that I had. But they seem to be the perfect team who played the perfect game against us, and we lost handily 4-0. to Whitecaps felt like we could have taken that one, maybe took our feet our foot off the gas. I don't know what you think about um, what teams do right against us, and do we have any worries going forward in that regard? The Tacoma game, to me, was us trying to figure ourselves out. Um, I, I, we, we dominated that match pretty well. And we, that was an example of us letting off the gas because they scored, uh, at least two of those goals towards the end of the match. And they had, um, they had a MLS midfielder, I forget his name, who did some damage to us. And I, 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 I like the fact that we stayed strong with that and we, we hung on for the victory. It was a home match and it was right after that first match against Rochester and I think that was a that was one of those measuring stick matches where we knew that the Sounders system is one of the best systems in the in the nation, and we would expect Tacoma to have knowing that they had three or four or five MLS signed players, um, they had the talent, mm-hmm. and I think we showed that we were the better team overall. Not just that we got lucky on some goals, but we played better than them for the full ninety. Minnesota, I give some leeway to our team only because that was the match following the open cup match against Louisville. Mm -hmm. And I felt like heavily, we played heavily rotated. We played 120 minutes plus PKs against Louisville. Our guys were gassed and it showed, um, they were outperformed big time, you know, a four, nothing loss. You can't, it's hard to draw many positives from that match, but I don't think it's an accurate representation of how a, full strength city Two lineup would face Minnesota. So I'm looking forward to the rematch on July 10th Me too. Uh, in Minnesota. So I want to see what it's going to be like when we're at, and you know, July 10th is an interesting date to circle um, because that's right after the transfer window. That's right after mm-hmm. we know reinforcement, so to speak um, the glimpses ahead are coming we, I, I'm not expecting them to necessarily play or play much during that match, but it, it is it has my attention more than others um, for both the fact that I want revenge on Minnesota United too, and I want to see those guys play. So that's something I have circled. I but I'm not you know I'm not taking too much um, away from losing to Minnesota United for nothing yet. Uh, what I what I am looking forward to are is, is the match on June fourth. So looking ahead at the types of teams that are those measuring sticks where you beat the teams that you should beat. So I would expect to beat Earthquakes too. I would expect to beat Rapids too. That's two out of our next three. If we lose, it would be, you know, what happened, what went wrong. Hmm. But the Dynamo 2 match on June 4th um, is that I'm excited to watch that. And I'm excited to be laser focused on how the Dynamo 2 play because they're a top-tier team in the league as well. And that is a team that we're going to be fighting for a playoff spot. So that, that to me, is assuming we can do business against the Earthquakes 2 at Herman, that's the one that I'm really excited to see to, as a measuring the next measuring stick for City 2. That in North Texas is in the lead in our mm-hmm. conference right now too. So we've got that yep. pretty far ahead in uh, July. Um, but... Slight uh, rabbit trail here. We got to see on FOTMOB, we got to see some uh, notifications this week, right? When we saw Roman Berkey and um, Ostrak being officially signed to City 2, which is weird to see those names next to a two-team, right? But here we are. It was interesting. (laughs) Have you... So I don't know if if you were like this, but do you remember way back when, and this is showing my age a little bit, um, depending, uh, good or bad, but in college, right after college... Um, Facebook was brand new. Do you ever remember the term Facebook official? 
No. Like when you're in a relationship oh, or like yeah. your friends. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 So you're in a relationship with somebody and uh, all of a sudden you change your status on Facebook to be Facebook official. That was the first <laughs> thing that I thought of when I saw Berkey and Ostrock um, yeah. as notifications signed for city two. I was like, Oh, it's fat mob official. <laughs> Like it means something, but it doesn't. <laughs> right, exactly. We we knew they were signed, they were announced, but now to like see it in an app, yeah, it's like okay, now now it's official. It's FOTMOB official. Like we can start. Like it, it means nothing because it, it doesn't mean anything different than what already happened. But yeah. FOTMOB doesn't even have a roster listed out for City Two, so it it doesn't even. We can't even go back and see them on a city two roster on FOMOB yet, but just, I don't know. It was, I'm going to take it too far. I'm going to take it way too far and say that like on Facebook, it's like all your close friends know you've been dating for months. Right. But you make it official on Facebook and these people that just check in on you once a month who don't actually talk to you are like, Oh, that guy's got a a girlfriend now. So (laughs) that's true. All the Berkey fans who maybe they don't follow him on social media or they, they use FOMOB exclusively, but they're not on Twitter or Facebook. Now they know that Berkey's with city too. I assume it's like all the Dortmund fans that are somewhat aware of city in MLS, you know, like now they know, now they know they have to follow MLS. <laughs> you know, it reached somebody who it hadn't reached before. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's exactly. Kinda, that's kind of cool. <laughs> I agree. That's the good part of it. Um, let's talk about the stadium. We're going to talk about some recent updates and Matt, I am certain you've had a tour by now because mine is tomorrow. So I assume you've had yours. Did you pick your the tickets? supporter section does not have uh, tours. Oh, so, so you're slumming it. Yeah, you're slumming it. Yeah, I gave it away. Yeah, now I'm so I will let you eat cake. You know, when you No, it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've heard that uh, we've heard that this the uh, supporter section may get a tour after all is said and done. But it's I don't think it's structurally safe for anybody to go in the supporter section right now because <laughs> of how steep it is and the lack of rails. Um <laughs> But that aside, I, I have not had a tour. So I, for all of the people who, who like to say that I get first dibs or early access to anything, um, the last time I was inside the stadium was last November, I believe, with the FX Council tour. Mm. And there was no grass. So everybody who's going last week, this week, next week, you guys get to see a fully, well, not a fully finished, but I mean, as for for picture purposes, my one of my best friends sent me a picture who had their tour today, and he, uh, he it looks like a finished stadium from the perspective. Like you yeah. get your picture right at the entryway from like the the dock on the southwest side, um, where you go you're under the tunnel and and you enter the stadium at the corner, and it looks like a finished stadium. I mean this the city is in the seats. It looks like every seat is full or finished or installed. Um, there's only one part of the canopy that is appears to be still being worked on that's finished on the east side, but that is a finished looking stadium from most all of the pictures, and that's mm-hmm. super exciting. So I expect to see pics from you, Phil. Yeah, yeah. I think I got a like a new camera. It's not super fancy, but it's better than a phone. So yeah, I'm definitely taking it that day. I'm gonna try to get as many videos and, and pictures as I can. Um, but yeah, I'm a little nervous. Like I gotta go put down a lot of money for a ticket for three years, you know, like I gotta, it's a big decision. Uh, So hopefully looking at it will make me real confident at what seat I want. And to be honest, I'm actually, you know, we've all been in, in well, most of us have been in an MLS stadium at this point. And often they're so small that you can't really get a bad seat. And I think based on what we've heard about this stadium, I don't think you can get a bad seat. And I've been looking at like where I want to sit and, um, I think it's going to feel way closer than I can even imagine. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the thing to remember, and I, you know, the thing to remember is that there's 120 feet from the pitch for every seat. Yeah. So no matter where you're sitting, even I think the furthest seat away, if I looked at the maps, right, we're on the East side, maybe the Southeast corner where the away fans are going to be, but maybe the, like just the East side, very top. Um, that might be where the 120 feet comes in, but that 120 feet is close and you get a good view of all the action. And it, it, it was funny right before we started filming, I saw on Facebook, there was a comment. Um, somebody made a comment that it seems like all the two hundreds are getting taken up well before the yeah. 100s. And I thought two things, first of all, they're cheaper 
Yeah. They, which the the most expensive seats are expensive, like those blue, the dark blue or purple seats. Um, that those are expensive. The two thousand plus dollar per um, per year seats. They're good seats. They're great seats, but they're expensive. Yeah. And we talked about that on the last show. So um, I don't want to go too deep into that, like why they're so expensive, but they are. And I think that plays into it. But also just that, that concept that uh, it's every seat's 120 feet. So it's not like you ever have a bad seat in the stadium, mm-hmm. which is one of the ultimate like just background benefits as you're thinking through all of this. Yeah. And so, then oh, go ahead. For, for, from our perspective, right? So we like we like to watch and analyze and see plays unfold and develop. And to me, there's no better way to do that than be just a little bit higher up. And so there's a trade-off that you think of of, well, if I'm higher up, I'm further away from the action. But it's not a Bush Stadium situation where you're not in a 400 section. You're not mm-hmm. having to pull out binoculars to see what's going on or, or what uh, what a pitch looks like. You know, you're at most 100, 120 feet. Most areas are far less than that. And and I in every single one of the 200s, especially the west side, which the west side is going fast. So if you're if you're looking right now, and I don't know when we're going to release this on Thursday or Friday, but the west side in the 200s, from what I hear. Uh, from friends who have gone through the process is going very, very fast. And so that to me is, I mean, the sun's going to be out of your eyes quicker. So that's a consideration. You're closer to, it's almost a scarcity thing too, where there's less seats or far fewer seats on the 200 section of the West side than there is the East side. And the, as you get away from the, the center, you know, it's, it's not terrible on the pricing. Like there are a lot of like light blue. If you look at that color index, light blue, orange, yellow, um, decent amount of those that are, that are in there. So it doesn't surprise me so much that you'd want to get a good view from the two hundreds, uh, in a scarce area where there's not a whole lot of people around you. So that would be a fun experience in and of itself. Um, but I think, I think the, the notion that there is a bad seat anywhere is just non-existent that like you're, if you want a season ticket, you're going to have a great view no matter where you are. And I've seen people get top tops, the top seats in any of the, the city pink or city red sections, you know, those, the cheaper ones. And that's their, that's their ideal place because you don't have anybody behind you. You can stand up, you can move around, you get that perfect view. Maybe you're 120 feet, maybe you're less, but it's, you know, everybody has their own preferences. And so it's fun to see that too, of what everybody is prioritizing. Yeah. And I would actually say, I think you said this, but most people are wanting to go higher. Like my sister-in-law went today and we're trying to sit near them. And, um, she was like worried about what to get. And she ended up getting the seventh row, but I guess they were trying to talk her into the front row because they do have like four kids. That's why she was kind of in a hurry to get out of there. Um, but they were like, if you bring kids to the game, they warm up right in front of that section. They're like, they'll talk to players like they can talk to players and get to know players. These are what they're saying. I don't know if that's true, but um, I think they're like trying to get those front row seats like sold because I think everyone wants to kind of sit high. So um, I'm interested to see what's available tomorrow. I have like a five o'clock meeting. So there's still a full day of people that can take seats between their purchase and mine. So we'll see what happens, but I'm not against sitting up close. I like to yell and I like, I feel like you can see a lot of good stuff up close as well as, you know, hopefully MLS will continue to allow me to rewatch matches after I've gone to the live one. So as long as I can rewatch, I'm good with sitting up close. Um, right. But, I think, yeah, but I think I most think people want the, the higher ones right now for sure. I, I back that yeah. up with uh, my sister-in-law's experience today. So where were you looking to? What which sections are you looking at again? Um, I think Sheep signed up like 138, and we're between that and cheaper tickets, not far from there. <laughs> so if we can, if we need to save money, we're going to, but we'll see if we can afford that one. Uh, but yeah, nice. like uh, basically where I used to sit, which is just beyond the Luligans, you know. So on the west side. Hey, don't like he said. don't sleep on the uh, the second tier north end side either. Those seats right above the supporter section. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's almost as important to be near the Luligans as it is to, like, get a good view of the game. You know, there's always the rewatch as far as the game experience. You know, Luligans are going to deliver every time. (laughs) So there's that, in my opinion. Um, 
we're running out of time. Let's kind of let's speed it up here. Well, let's talk about city moves. This is really important to you and I. So I really want to talk about this. They had their first one. I don't know much about how it went or anything like that, um, but they're also expanding. Matt, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So um, my understanding is, so I, I was not there, um, but I do know that they uh, they did have their first meeting last night. So we're recording this on Wednesday. So five twenty four. Um, I heard, I saw, so it was one of those things where on, on, you know, Twitter and Facebook, you see, uh, sub tweets where it's alluding to certain things and you can piece things together. I, my understanding and from, from what I'm seeing and, and hearing and talking to a, a couple people that were there is that it was very promising. Um, you know, no, it, it's the first meeting with these kinds of things and city moves. So it's, it's the, the, I don't know the best way to put it, but it's kind of like that uh, initiative by the club to um, promote inclusivity and diversity. And I wouldn't say that the whole program is designed around LGBTQIA plus community and, and allies and, and the community members. But because the way that they phrased it when they first announced it is this first initiative or the first um, focus is on LGBTQIA and inclusivity in that community. So that's what this meeting yesterday was about, uh, where the format, there was a three session workshop and this was put out by, um, Peter Wood, the VP of content. Um, part one had two keynote presentations and a listening exercise. Part two had a collaborative design workshop exercise. And part three was an action plan for implementation. So you see that ahead of time and you can see that, you know, it's, it's pretty clearly, designed to not to introduce concepts, um, to hear and, and absorb certain information and then collaborate on solutions and then determine how they're going to be able to implement those solutions. And so that conceptually sounds fantastic. Hmm. Um, my understanding is that it, it, it from the couple people that I talked to that were there is it went, it followed pretty closely to that where there were, you know, presentations where the club spoke, a representative from a national organization spoke, um, the, the club, you know, reiterated some things with, uh, some other, uh, supporter, uh, LGBTQIA plus community members, um, throughout the, the globe, uh, breaking into groups, going through questions that the club had prepared to get some of the ideas and feedback that the, um, that the, the participants had, and they had not just community members, LGBTQIA plus, but also allies. So they, uh, they tried to, from what I, you know, what you assume they, they had a very diverse group of, um, community members and allies to get feedback, to try to get different perspectives of everybody's experience. So getting all of that information, ideas and feedback, um, it sounded like a pretty similar thing to the way they formatted the FX council where they give you prompts, you go back in your group, you discuss those, and then each group makes a presentation to the wider audience and to the team. Notes are taken, um, ideas are written down, and, and then action items and implementation plans are created. And so it will be interesting now that that has occurred to see what, um, what action items come from it? You know, what what fruit is born from those discussions that were had last night? Because I think it's important to know how early it, it feels like this team has been around forever, but you know they don't kick off for another ten months. It's I think it's important to see how much of what those community members um, gave to the club that they're able to implement day one next year, which is where. They have plenty of time to put all this uh, planning to action and to make meaningful progress and to be the leader in support and that community. And I want to see actionable and I want to see very um, defined things that the club has done because, you know, the there have been there have been some missteps, not by the club, but by those associated with the club that have not led to a very positive um, image uh, by association, not by action by the club, but just by association. And we've talked about it. We know that um, the political contributions by Centene were, were uncovered, very poorly received. But the club can control what the club can control. And this to me is um, 
an opportunity that so far it doesn't seem like they're passing up. And I think that is of the utmost importance to see this club be a leader in the LGBTQIA plus community from day one. And this is, this is how it's getting done. And just watching this develop and needing this to be uh, like industry leading is, is important for this club and for this community and for St. Louis. Yeah, there have been missteps in um, mostly MLS clubs, but some USL clubs too. And usually it happens, pardon me, it happens on like a, a small level, individuals running into individuals and something bad happening. Um, but there have been larger examples of that. And um, I think the way that a club addresses it can largely be like the success of it can largely be attributed to how close they are or how in tune they are with their fans. And sometimes a club is in tune with their fans and sometimes they're just not. And you get this like corporate businessman response. Right. And, and that's when things blow up. So, you know, I'll say this over and over. I'm sorry if you've heard me say this, but you know, if this is something that happens inside of, um, say the supporter section or the visiting supporter section or on the outskirts of that area, I do truly hope and believe that the Luligans or any other supporter crew um, are able to handle that in-house in an exemplary fashion, you know, and I think that's always the best way to figure something out uh, because I think the only time a club needs to get involved is if that goes wrong and then the club kind of has to make a statement at that point because things have just gotten out of control. And so we don't want that. But if the club has to get involved and make a statement or make a decision on something, um, you know, the Centene thing, I hope they don't ignore it like the Centene thing, but we want them to address it with marginalized people in mind, right? Making sure they're not addressing it like a corporation would, because I think mm-hmm. it's proven that if the club gets it wrong, you better believe that Don Garber is going to get it wrong because MLS has never really done right by that situation. They say the right things when it's planned ahead and there's like an anniversary date for something or it's pride month or, you know, whatever, right? Like they're good. They it's can, a sterile version of support. Yes. So please, please, if you're a fan of St. Louis, uh, uh, city SC, if you are a Luligan, if you're a SLC pump, like whatever you are, let's try to handle things on the lowest level possible because that's where, you know, supporter groups know people and they know how to deal with people best in my opinion. So let's keep it on that level. That's and why. I will say that the, so there, I mean, you want to have words and you want to have action. You want to have both of those align. Um, it, to me, it's, you know, I, it, it's part apologist, part, understanding you can control what you can control. So knowing that there was no public statement from city against Centene when it was, um, it wasn't even like released or announced. It was just uncovered that there were political (laughs) contributions. Like I, I, you, you want, that's your knee jerk reaction. And I still want it. I, I would have liked to have some kind of acknowledgement that there is a sentiment in the fan base that is concerned that city is not, um, upholding what they've talked about. Uh, because of who they're aligning with and what their contributions are. City themselves stayed quiet during that time, and they are very clearly, um, they, they've put words out um, more broad, more, I don't want to say sterile, but more MLSE, um, vague. But this part here has the potential to be the action that shows where their true colors are and where their hearts lie. And, and so doing this right, I think will go a long way, um, if not the entire way in, in proving what their values are and, and showing by actions, because that's what everybody has always asked for is actions showing by their action, um, that they value every single person, regardless of ethnicity, sexual orientation, gender identity, anything. And so that's why the City Moves program is so important and why uh, actionable progress from that is is necessary. Yeah. And I skipped I skipped a little bit there. I meant to say that 
I think we've seen that the council that you're on has really borne fruit. We've seen that that has been effective, that a lot of stuff that normal fans are asking for, they delivered on, you know, like absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so that gives me hope that this will have a similar effect. Um, We don't have proof yet, but if something bad happens and we find that this council that City Moves has some play in how they respond, I will be the happiest St. Louis City fan on the planet. And um, I think we have a little bit of um, evidence that it will have that kind of effect based on what's happened with other councils. So I wanted to be more positive than I was. I didn't mean to go negative there. No, I love it. Yeah, I, I think I think they've they've shown that the way they're doing these councils and if they put something together, uh, whether it's FX Council, City Moves, City Futures, they're going to follow through with whatever they have designed and and they take the time to uh, set things up properly mm-hmm. and get the infrastructure in place on their end so that whenever these things start to happen and develop, they, they are ready for them and they, they have a plan on uh, resources devoted to making them happen. So that's very, um, it's very positive to see. Absolutely. All right. That was our, um, getting on our soapbox for the, for the episode. We usually got one and that was it. Um, Matt, we got like five minutes, 10 minutes to talk about the Academy. So I'm going to set you loose, Let's talk about it. whatever you want. I'll maybe respond and then we'll wrap it up for the day. So I will. I, so when all this was going down, it's been a busy month um, for everybody. And it's hard to keep track of a lot of the things and the developments that are going on. Um, and it seems like it, the club has never been super... Uh, Howdy about their academy systems and the success or individual success or um, focusing too much on the wins and losses. You know, they are clearly all about development and they want to toe that line. You know, we've talked about um, Caden Glover, we've talked about Aaron Hurd, talked about the things that uh, we would love to see spotlighted more on the individual levels. But the thing that I do want to spotlight very clearly is uh, the U17 team. And since we recorded last, uh, there was um, there was another tournament in MLS Next, MLS Next Flex, which occurred in Maryland. Um, and I, th- I think it's important to credit the U17 team for the work that they did uh, in that tournament. So they it was another similar to what the Generation Adidas Cup qualifiers were, where you're slotted into groups, you play your group stage games. And then uh, the winner of the group gets to move on into, in that case, it was the GA Cup. Here, it was an opportunity to automatically qualify for the MLS Next Cup playoffs, which occur uh, in June, June 25th through July 3rd. So that's the kind of end of season MLS Next Cup playoffs. And they're taking mostly kind of the best teams of the league, but automatic qualifiers were given out to all group winners of MLS Next flex and the city to or city u17 team uh started off by defeating skc three to one they tied and then beat on pk's la surf soccer club and then in a game that determined the group winner um and in a game where their opponent ralph salt lake all they needed to do was tie they defeated rsl two to one to win their group on a mikey lay goal a uh, game-winning goal that was assisted by on a cross by Brian Franco while the U-17s were playing down a man during Ooh. that match. Love it. So our U-17s in one month's time will be in, I believe, Frisco, Texas at the FC Dallas um, uh, facilities to participate in the MLS Next Cup playoffs. So great. Good experience. Fantastic. Yeah, and first year, you know, I, I think I listened to a City Voice where – Lutz was talking about, you know, this is the first year we didn't know what to expect, but the fact that they're doing fine and not just fine, but kind of good based on what we're seeing now, especially, um, he feels pretty good about where they are, you know, with all these other academies have had years, you know, to prepare for this. We've had less than a year, you know, so it's a credit to them. And, and we, you know, we, we've followed them throughout the year and they've had ups and downs and same with the U16s. They've had ups and downs on their, their scoring and, um, just productivity, but it's, it's so exciting to see that at the end of the first year, this, that our academy is one of those elite academies that can get an automatic qualifier because there were only 16 clubs um, 
who who gained one of those in MLS Next Flex. So 16 groups, um, and, and you know we did it. We we did what we needed to do. We put in the work, and we're going to be performing and playing in those playoffs. So I'm excited to see what comes from that in about a month. Yep, it's funny. So first of all, you know, credit to St. Louis City coaching staff, right? Credit to the kids who have the mentality to pull off this kind of first year situation. Um, credit to our city for being so soccer crazy, right? I'm sure that's part of it, but also credit to all the other clubs and academies in the city that have gotten our kids to this level so quickly. Surely they played a hand in this as well. So just kind of want to make sure everybody's kind of getting their due. I, it's got to be a combination of all those things for sure. And maybe more than I'm not thinking of, but, um, also, you know, with city two coming on, we've kind of, it's been easy for us to not pay attention to the Academy as well. And next year it's going to be hard to pay attention to city two. And that's kind of sad for me. And so I want to kind of let this be a lesson to myself to kind of start making sure I watch the Academy kids a little more, pay attention to what they're doing, maybe post some more reminders to all of you on Twitter. Uh, make sure we're following along. This is our future, guys, and this is what we want to rely on when um, the signings go wrong or people get injured. Like, we're going to be looking to these kids in City 2 to fill in those slots. We might even be rotating a lot a la New York Red Bulls. You know, we might be using these City 2 kids more often than we think. So those are all things that I think of from time to time. Matt, any following closing thoughts from you? Well, it's been a while since we've talked about um, homegrown signings, but that was a big thing when the academy first started, and we and we didn't have a city two yet. But one of the things we were excited about and focused on is who who are we forecasting, or who are we expecting that could be um, a homegrown signing. And let's not forget that uh, Lutz and Hackworth have talked about players from the academy being signed day one to the city roster, and I, I still firmly believe that there are still those rumors out there about Aaron Hurd. Um, there are still conversations and excitement around guys like Fritz Vollmer who have seen time to, you know, as we, as, as the, the Academy league has, uh, concluded, this is one of the more exciting things going into the next week, uh, the next few weeks, the next few months, um, both before and after the MLS internationals arrive that we've talked to, uh, conceptually, but I really want to see how much time guys like Aaron Hurd, Fritz Vollmer, um, Josh Mayer, and all those guys get, uh, Miguel Perez, Nathan Ferguson, who, who got minutes the other night, how are those guys going to perform and, and what is their role going to be on city two? Because I don't think it's too much of a stretch or, um, I don't think it's fallacy to think that the more time you get on city two, um, both in the starting lineup and minutes and, and how you're used will play directly into what your role might be with city because as, as the season progresses and we see guys who have aged out of the U 17s now, and so their only opportunity is going to be with city too. Um, it's going to be important to see how they're rotated and included and, and not just as uh, role players or as, you know, squad rotations, but is a guy like Aaron Hurd or Fritz Vollmer or, you know, kids, guys, boys, men, are they, how are they going to slot in the rest of the season? And are we going to see this consistent trend of Aaron Hurd has been uh, specifically said by Hackworth as, yeah, he's, he's earned it. He's earned his spot. Are we going to see more minutes? Are we going to see starting opportunities? Because that to me will give an inclination as to who our homegrown signings are really going to be come November, December, January of next year. Um, so far, you know, it's Aaron Hurd and Fritz Vollmer. I don't think it's any stretch of the imagination to say those two are separating themselves from the pack. But you also have, um, I think Carson Gibbs is still on an amateur contract. Uh, Nathan Ferguson. I want to see more of Josh Mayer, but those are the guys, you know, those five or six guys who are assigned to the uh, amateur deals. Those are the guys that uh, still having eyes on, even though we don't, we don't talk about them on the regular because they're getting minutes with the U 17s who are by and large, like I said, happening behind the scenes. They're not getting a whole lot of focus because of all the city two things going on. Um, it's kind of city's MO to not spotlight the Academy too much to give them, uh, an appropriate level of coverage for the fact that they're kids. Um, so we don't get a whole lot of, we don't get a whole lot of spotlighting on them 
beyond the the occasional comments on the national team level or whenever someone gets minutes like uh like they did against Louisville on City 2 so keeping that's always been in the back of our heads but i think it's going to be a lot more front and center now the academy season has concluded to see how these guys continue to get minutes as the city two season progresses and eventually ends going into city. Yeah. Like the, um, watching Josh winder, winder winder with, um, Louisville tonight and to see him do so well against city two, he's 17, right? This kid is so good. He's really quality. I mean, ideally Fritz Vollmer we're behind, right? Louisville's had several years to kind of get to the point where they can start a 17 year old academy and everything. Right. So we're behind them, but if we can get Fritz Vollmer or, or Josh Mayer to start more often next year on the two team, I'd really love to see that. I'd really like to see them as confident as Josh Winder was tonight facing off against Nashville. You know, that was awesome. Um, yep. He did really well. And I think he's at this point going to be a trustworthy U S youth national team player for the foreseeable future and then who knows how long it'll take for him to get to the senior team maybe not that long it's looking like i just hope they sell him for a little more than they sold uh gomez for uh <laughs> to europe there's probably no probably no hackworth clause in his contract exactly <laughs> we won't talk about that <laughs> anything else matt anything else you want to cover before we leave no just excited for uh the final match at herman stadium is this sunday so it's wow. a memorial day weekend uh, Sunday is not a school night. I'm planning on taking my kids. Um, it's the last, last match at Herman. So after this, it's everybody heads to Edwardsville. Everybody heads mm-hmm. to SIUE. So I, I want that. I would love it to be special. You know, if, if you're listening to this, uh, on Thursday or Friday and you're wavering or, or you're thinking it's the holiday weekend, I don't really want to you know, get out and spend time with sports. I mean, You've, you've seen what city puts out as what the atmosphere is like. I think it's going to be super fun. And the last opportunity we potentially ever get to have a city match at Herman, because we still don't know mm. where they're going to play next year. They could play at Centene. Um, so this could be the last opportunity to see St. Louis city at Herman. Take yeah, advantage of it. I haven't seen any like massive stands in the training grounds, but they could just put up a bunch of stands in the training grounds and that could be where they play too. It would make sense. You never know. Or they could play in actual Centene. That's another thing for the, that crew too. That doesn't happen, but it is possible. You never know how they're going to do double headers or if they're just going to open it up for, you know, free to season ticket holders and have just a skeleton crew for ops. You never know, but you don't want to miss Herman stadium. Agree. Agree. Uh, That's the main point here. Um, That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening, Matt. Thanks for joining me, man. It's been fun. Always a good time. Bye, everybody. We'll talk to you in a few.